We are in a series called All of Life. I'm not trying to be too ambitious, but we're dealing with some things that are common to a bunch of people like us. And last week we talked about marriage, and this week we're talking about parenting. Um, so I, I want you to be ready for a lot of points, all right? Um, this is everything I've ever thought about parenting. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, it's a lot, to be honest with you. And uh, I find it very ironic that I'm talking about parenting because uh, I'm one of those guys who didn't plan for anything. Um, I thought kids, I never thought kids were a decision. I thought it was an inevitable part of life. You're just going to have them, I guess. And so I never gave it much pre-thought um, on what it was to raise kids or parent kids. And so everything that uh, God has done in my life in the last 30 years has been uh, pretty amazing. Um, and and it's, it, it's incredible when you consider where it started. I, uh, again, didn't think much about it. I was one of those guys who was self-employed when we... Um, got pregnant with our first, Ben. And uh, someone had perpetrated the lie that if you go to the hospital before midnight, they charge you for the day before. And I didn't have insurance, so this is the arrangement I had with my wife. Honey, we're going to do this on the cheap, all right? And we're going to do it in a few hours, and we're going to get out of there, and everything's going to be okay. And uh, so it was around Christmas time, and I was at my family's Christmas party, and I saw her talking to my sisters, that little chit-chat that chicks do when they're you know, having this wonderful moment together. And I said, what's going on? She goes, I think we're having the baby. So without insurance, and it was like 9 o'clock, I thought, well, we got some work to do here. So <laughs> it was about 20 below windshield, Chicago, soft top Jeep, and we were three hours from, from midnight, and we were sitting out in front of the hospital, three minutes apart contraction. I'm going, hang in there, baby. <laughs> you can make it. So to say that I was unprepared... Maybe that tells you why and how uh, unprepared I was. But something happened to me on that day, to be fair. I'm not trying to be too mystic about it all, but that something clicked in my head. Uh, to not an interest, never babysat a child. I didn't have any younger siblings, never played with little kids, never, ever. So this little one that I had was the first one I ever cared about. And something clicked in my head, like, this is really, really important, you know? And so at that moment, I got really passionate about being a dad and started to ask questions or watch people or listen to others talk about it. And so what I'm going to talk about today is possibly the way I've formulated my mind around what I think God has said for Christian parents when it comes to being a parent. So I understand the audience. Some of you are done. I mean, that cow's left the barn, and you're glad. And, uh, but I'm going to give you some so what. Some of you can't even imagine. You're like me. can't even imagine what it's like to have kids. And I'm just asking you to get close enough to the conversation that you don't forget some of these things because it's absolutely essential. And uh, so this is, uh, in essence, what I've wrestled with about parenting. Um, so like last week, we talked about the biblical role of marriage. Today, we're talking about the biblical role of parenting. So let me set some ground rules before we get into some application and study here. There is nothing, I don't think, another subject in the world more personal than children, your kids. And, and so I might not knowingly step on toes. I'm just asking you to be um, soft to the Holy Spirit today. Ask God to make you receptive. Just maybe things you haven't considered or maybe you need to consider again. Maybe you've already forgotten these things and you're reminded that they're true. Just ask God to make you soft to it. I want you to remember that parenting isn't a science. There's an art to it. So if you're one of these people that are going to leave here with a list and run back to the house and go, I got it, I got it, then you might want to relax a little bit. Um, and then my guess is that we're going to leave here. If, you're, if you really are listening, you're going to leave here as a parent with some regret. 
And uh, I want you to know that there is no such thing as a perfect parent. So if you think that you're the only one that has regret about the things you could have done or should have done or didn't do right or whatever, you're not, you're not alone. But I want you to remember in the gospel, because of the gospel, we don't have to wrestle with guilt and we don't have to wrestle with pride. Either we think, either we think that somehow I'm now under the weight of all this loss that I've caused myself or, hey, I'm the exception of the rule. Parenting was a piece of cheese for me. It all worked great. Look how wonderful my kids are. I think this is going to stop pride and it's going to stop the guilt if we're honest about the gospel and what it says. So with those as kind of rules, um, how much information is there out there on parenting? For real, if you're ever interested in looking, there's books upon books upon books upon books. There's seminars and conferences that you can go to. I Googled how to parent. Google gives me 652 million, all right? I only got through half of them, but there's a lot. There's, only, there's a lot of things being said about parenting. Um, I want to give you what I think is a very, very simple, easy to state um, role. Not going to give it, not going to be complex. It's going to be really simple. It's in verse four of chapter six of Ephesians. I think this is all that God has to say when it comes to the role of parenting. Verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's it. Now, there are some other particulars in, in the scriptures that talk about maybe some things to remember as a parent, but the role of parenting, what God calls us to do, that's what the Bible says. There's not a ton in here about it. And that's how clear um, the Apostle Paul writes about it. That's what God expects. Uh, let, me, let me just remind you some things before we pick this apart, <clears throat> some things that should be obvious. <clears throat> As a Christian parent, everything you do in your life is to be sanctified. The word means to be set apart, meaning you are different people. You follow a different set of rules and you follow a Lord that the world doesn't know and your heart is attached to things that maybe nobody else is attached to. And so you're set apart in all your behaviors. Like last week we talked about being set apart, different in our marriage. That these roles that God places that aren't popular all in our culture, that's what God has said. So it supersedes, it superbounds over what the, the world is saying. And I think the Bible says <clears throat> equal power to parenting. We are to be set apart parents, all right? Which means we do it different than what everybody else does. There's a different mandate, a different call, a different expectation. Specifically in this one verse, Paul gives two commands, one positive, one negative, and and one role or one goal of parenting. And by the way, before we get into it, I know it says fathers don't exasperate, but the word fathers occasionally in the New Testament actually is translated parents. Um, The word actually means by whom one is begotten, so we can't exclude moms in here. So if we want to really understand the instruction of Paul to us, the church, it's, it's as if he's saying parents, right? Parents do not provoke your children, not just fathers, it's the kind of the headship piece is why Paul put it in there. But nevertheless, I think it applies to both. So with that in mind, let's look at the first commandment. <clears throat> Paul says, do not provoke your children to anger. The word provoke means to irritate, to cause hostility and uh, bitterness in your child. It's like this. It's to do something or not do something wrong that creates resentment and frustration and uh, strife anger in in your child. Now, I know when I bring that up, most of us, if you are, if you care at all, there's a flood of memories, right? This is where the regret begins to come. Because like I told you last week, the inclination, the sinful inclination of every human heart is to do this. Fathers and mothers exasperate and children don't obey. 
and husbands don't love, and wives don't submit, and everywhere else the Bible instructs particular roles, we don't do these naturally. It, it takes supernatural work. The Holy Spirit has to transform our hearts. And so if you hear, don't provoke, and you're a parent, you kind of go, oh, brother, I've done that. I do that. In fact, that's my mode of parenting is to provoke. And so I, uh, I want to talk about ways we provoke. And again, in a sensitive way so that you don't feel too burdened in this, but I think it's important to know that maybe there's some ways we can cut it off at the past and not create these problems. But I, I think we provoke our children when we overprotect them. Here's what I mean by that. When you don't give them opportunities for independence, or, or in other words, you don't give them a place to uh, um, have moral dilemmas to have to answer for themselves. For instance, I know you love Jesus, and I know you as a parent probably want nothing more than your kids to love Jesus. But there's a big difference between that and teaching them that and then controlling so much their life that they have no decision to make. And therefore, their faith isn't their own. They're simply doing what they're told. As opposed to putting them in situations, normal situations, where they have to decide, is this real? Is Jesus Lord of all? Does he live in me? And does God care about sin? And it might be something small when they're little, like something really puny that doesn't even matter to us now, but they have to face that decision. Like, if I do this, if I talk when they tell me not to talk, and then I have to answer my parents about, did I obey or not? These are moral decisions I have to make as a young child. And some parents just choose to say, no, let me just put such a protecting environment around you that you never have to make a moral decision because you're too stupid to make a moral decision. And ultimately, when you're older, then you're okay. And that you probably have heard of the stories of, of kids who, who've been so protected that once they're done, they're done. And they express themselves and they haven't made a moral decision. They don't believe in Jesus and they don't know right from wrong because they've been protected from, protected from making those decisions. I think sometimes we provoke our kids by being unrealistic. In other words, we crush them under high expectations. I've heard of parents crushing their kids under the expectation of ridic ridiculous academics or athletics or music or whatever you want to put in there. Just, they're unreasonable. And to be fair, sometimes these are selfish reasons on a parent's part, not always. If you do well in school, I don't have to pay for college, so you better do well in school. It benefits me. And if you do really well and you perform really well, I get, I'm proud of you. I get to tell your story, and it makes me look good. And, and so there's other motives in this thing other than just the selfless service of this one who belongs to Jesus, okay? So there's other things that we do, like create unrealistic expectations. I think we provoke when we're too hard, when you can't be pleased. You're one of the moms or dads, no matter what your child does, they can never get it right. They can never climb high enough. They can never do it well enough. They can't finish. Uh, you're just not pleased. You don't listen well. You don't understand, and you don't even try to. Your job isn't to encourage them. You're just heavy. I'm not saying that's you. I'm just saying that's a possibility that if that's the way you behave towards your kids, it could totally provoke them to resentment and bitterness. I think when we uh, refuse to sacrifice for our kids, we can create this kind of bitterness in them. In other words, this is how you would view life. It's my world, and they're just living in it. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go to work where I go to work, and I'm going to do what I want to do in my free time, and I'm going to have this hobby, whatever. You're just, you're just a part of this story because we had you. I'm not willing to sacrifice for you. I'm not willing to be Jesus unto you, so you're just along for the ride. Whatever I do, you get caught up in the, the wash with it. So you're going to do whatever you want to do. So you don't sacrifice. You don't demonstrate what it is to be Christ to your child. Some by just 
sheer neglect provoke their kids. Uh, they're just not involved. They, uh, they're not talking to their kids. They're not getting to know their kids. They're not involved in their stories, and they're not disciplining them and discipling them, and so they're just not doing the job. They're neglecting. I had a situation many, many years ago. I was working for a pastor, and I was doing a summer camp, and we have a rule. We had a rule then. We have a rule now. If, if kids break certain, like I'd call them huge rules, they go home. As opposed to derailing the whole camp and putting everybody in harm's way, they just go home. And what happened to be this year, the pastor's daughter broke that rule. And I had to call him up and say, hey, brother, you got to come get her. She's going home. He was so mad at me. So mad. He thought there was another, another standard for pastor's kids. And I, I didn't feel that way. Anyway, we had a conversation afterwards. And then we were sitting down and trying to sort through how upset he was at me. And I said, man, you're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your family. Why aren't you engaged with your family? And he said, they were daughters, all four girls. He said, that's my wife's job. They're girls. It's their job. I didn't have a file for that. I didn't, but really? You're just going to check that off the list because they're girls? I don't get it. And some, some of you might be doing the same thing. Hey, listen, I don't relate to the guys. I don't relate to the girls. So I'm going to let the wife or the... The husband take care of it. So sometimes it's simply neglect. Sometimes it's just verbal abuse, name-calling, yelling, screaming. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it gets out of control physically. Sometimes we live um, vicariously through our children, right? We were so massively average, and over my dead body, are they going to be average? So we want to live out our dreams through their life, and, and we put that kind of pressure on them. And, and you make your own list. We, we can put so much pressure provoking our kids to resentment, bitterness, and anger. And the negative command that Paul gives in Ephesians 6, 4 is don't do that. Don't be a part of why they're angry. Don't be a part of why they're bitter and resent. Don't be the reason why they look at your God and say, not for me because of how you handled me. Okay, don't be that person. Don't provoke, okay? That's the negative command. This last phrase in, in verse 4 is the positive command. And I would call it the role or the goal of parenting. And this is what Paul says. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There, there are three, three words or phrases here that are going to help us really understand what Paul has just said. Bring them up is a verb. It's, it's the action that we're doing as parents. It, it means to, to nourish them, to feed them. It means to train them and educate them, okay? That's what it means. It's the activity that we do as parents to care for them. And the, and the, and the intensity of the passage is just like husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. There's the same idea here for how we bring them up. Parents are supposed to care for, educate, train, and nourish their kids as if they were caring for themselves. That's the intensity of it. The word uh, discipline means chastising correction. In other words, it's not punitive. It's not like, I'm going to make you pay for being that kind of kid. This is instructive. It's loving, guiding, consistent, shaping hand to sinful tendencies in our kids. That's, That's what this word discipline means. The word instruction is the same word for warning. It's This is verbal. This is heads up. Hey, son, let me just tell you, heads up on that one. That one will eat your lunch. You don't want to go there. That will ruin you. I've been there. This is that kind of verbal uh, concern and a word of encouragement. So if I were to paraphrase what Paul just said here in verse 4, it would go like this. The parents, you have a huge, important job to nourish your children with loving consequence and corrective words. That's the job. Loving consequence and corrective words. <laughs> That's God's mandate for us, but some of us neglect it. Some of us neglect it because what I just said, what I just read to you, you had no idea 
For you, ignorance is the reason why you haven't done these things. You didn't know. You simply didn't know. You might have just been converted recently. Um, You might have grown up in a situation where nobody taught you the word, but here it says it, and you didn't know it, so that might be why you've neglected it. The other reason is the possibility that uh, you don't care. You're just apathetic. It's a lot of work. And for you, you've decided there's a better place to put your time, and so you don't care. And then there's this other thing called pride. You think you don't need it. Exceptionalism. You have you have the Christ child too. And they don't need much adjustments or much instruction or corrective discipline. All they simply need is an opportunity and they're going to shine. Well, let me remind you of what the prophet Jeremiah said about the human heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 7. Out of the heart of man comes every evil thought and action. So here's a news flash. Your kid has a heart problem just like you. Anybody surprised? Anybody shocked or offended that your kid has a deceitful, sick heart just like you? I hope not. And here's what God has called you to. This verse is simply saying, parents, engage them in it. Their heart is bent towards sin just like your heart is bent towards sin. Engage them in it. Be involved in it. The role of a parent, let me just make it really simple. Here's a biblical word for you. The role of a parent is to disciple your child. So so let me say it in the negative so you get really offended, okay? Um, It's not to get them under control. It's not to raise moral children, although these are all good things. They're not bad things. That's not the goal. It's not the role. It's not to raise respectful, polite kids who know how to say yes, sir, no, no, ma'am, that kind of thing. It's not the kind of parent who raises the obedient or the, the one who raises a child who makes you proud, the one who gets the right kind of job or goes to college, that is not the role of a parent, although those are all good and by themselves fine. The role of a parent is to see them saved and sanctified because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the role of a parent. If you're a Christian, there's no other higher agenda. Introduce them to Christ and point the way to obedience. That's what we do, okay? All these other things are ancillary, side issues. You could raise a moral kid, he goes to hell. Raise an obedient yes or no, sir, kid, he goes to hell. Only sinners saved by God's grace through Jesus alone are on their way to heaven. And only those have been transformed in the heart and only those the Holy Spirit resides in. The only shot they have to ongoing, consistent change is that God takes up residence in their heart. That's it. Our job is to show them the beauty of Christ and his gospel. It's the greatest story I ever heard. I have no problem talking about Jesus because he saved me. It's the only hope my kids have, right? Let me take you through it like an outline. You got to turn back to Deuteronomy. This is Moses writing to the people of Israel just prior to them going into the promised land. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. These few verses is is, um, from God through Moses to his people before they go into this wonderful promise of God. And he tells them what to do consistently as the people of God. And it deals with their children. That's what he says in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
Verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Right there you have the outline of the activity of believing people in a sovereign God, what we do with our children. We teach them about God, right? Isn't that what he says in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6 verse 4? We teach them about God. Our, our Lord God is one God. The Lord is one. Verse 5, we teach them to love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might. Verse 6, we teach them to obey God. And verse 7, we teach them with our life. When we sit and when we rise and when we get up in the morning, that's what we do. We teach constantly. So this wonderful little verbiage of what it looks like to be active as a parent, a believing parent in our kid's life is to point the way to teach them to love God. How do you do that? You can't change a kid's heart. But they learn what you love. They learn what you have affections for, what you're committed to it. They see it. Show them how to obey and then how to, how to follow your example. There's lots of things that we do as parents, but nothing is more important than, than this. And maybe just simply the word disciple, your kids, is the only word you need. Okay, now I get it. Now I get the role. Now I get what I'm supposed to be doing with my time. And maybe that's all you need. But I can also hear sort of in the background, uh, well, oh, give me some more practical. And so I have a bunch of those. Um, these are just tips, tips of parenting. Like if you're truly going to do this discipleship process, then I think these things are important things to remember. This is the first one. You being godly is your kid's greatest need. You might, you might feel the burden to provide all these things and to have all the answers. That isn't it at all. You loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength is their greatest need. You know what confuses a kid more than anything? Words. Words that aren't connected to actions. When you say, I love. When you say, I believe. When you say, I'm committed. And then they watch the inconsistencies. And you do nothing about the inconsistencies. And we'll get to that in a little bit, called repentance. When you do nothing about the inconsistencies, they look at that story and go, it's a game, right? It's a religious game because you're asking me to do these things, but you won't do these things. You're asking me to believe and say I'm sorry and repent, but you're not doing that stuff. You're just, you're just a selfish person who's my parent, right? So our, our, our activity couldn't be given to a greater need than our own pursuit of Jesus. Now, let me just say this before you rewrite what I've just said. This is not saying that your greatest work in their life is to be a perfect parent because there is no such thing. We're talking about a lover of God who's sincere about the gospel parent, a pursuer of Jesus. For them to see in your life a love for other people and a service and a sacrifice and a giving nature, one who can see your inabilities and your sin and say it out loud, that kind of person. So they connect your faith to sincerity. And once they know you're sincere, they've got room for the things that aren't like crystal, the things that go wrong because the Bible and the gospel gives us an answer for that too. But you being godly is their greatest need. Here's the second thing I want you to get. Discipleship works, good or bad. It always works. This is not talking about discipleship in the positive sense, in the sense that we're only talking about Christian faith discipleship. We're just saying influence of life on life that transforms people into some kind of image happens, whether you're engaged in a positive way or you defer it away. Discipleship always works. Bad company corrupts good character, the scripture says. So you can have good character, hang around with the wrong crowd long enough, guess what happens? Corruption. Discipleship works. So you have to engage in it. 
You have to engage in it. I just made a list of things that don't disciple because I've heard for years and years and years the way parents defer this whole role to other things. And these things aren't bad in of themselves, but they don't disciple. School choice doesn't disciple children. Fine for you. Do whatever you want to do. Knock your socks off. But it isn't a way to defer the role of discipleship, okay? Family devotions don't disciple your children. I'll have more, more points on that in just a little bit about your activities. Going to church doesn't disciple your children. Again, you're seeing that these things aren't bad. They're just not what disciples your kids. Sports, academics, they don't disciple your kids. A life on life for life in the gospel disciples your kids. You giving your life away, sincerely saying the truth, sincerely living the truth and confessing the truth outward over time is discipleship. Here's the third thing I want you to remember, and that is this. Remember that they belong to God, so transfer your authority to him as soon as you can. Get it to him as quick as you can. So when your kid's born, they look up at you and they go, God, they don't know anything else. You're feeding me. You're protecting me. You are the vision of the Almighty to them. But as soon as they can understand language, as soon as you can start explaining how things really are, you start telling about a sovereign one, a God who's over your life too, a God who covers your sin, whose grace came in the form of Jesus for you. You tell them about that, and you tell them that you're under his his rule too. You're not the exception to it. So I did this little thing with my guys, um, and I I did it intentionally because I didn't enjoy the discipline thing, okay? I'm really good at it, but I didn't enjoy it. Um, Every time we talk about something that needed consequence, this is how it would go down. Oh, Dad, I I don't want you to fill in the blank, okay? I don't want you, I don't want it. And I would sincerely say, I don't want to either. I want no part of consequences. I'd rather us just skip around and be happy all day long. I love you. I don't want to do this, but here's what God said. And if I give you what you want and what I want, what does that mean? And every one of them, from the very early age, they say, well, I guess that would be wrong. That'd be disobedient. Yeah, and so I say, who should we obey? We should obey God. So what should I do? I guess you should discipline me. That's how it went down. We'd have that long conversation, and we'd always conclude with this one truth. God is over me, just like he's over you. And we all have to obey. Transfer, transfer your authority, your control, your, your role in their life to the authority of God as soon as you can. As soon as they can understand language, give it to them. Here's number four. Don't discipline out of anger. Most men probably awake at night with this regret. Because it's so much easier to react than to think. It's so much easier to, to be mad than to grieve. And so I, I had a rule where I would never, I would just, if there was something wrong, to the room, to the room. I wouldn't have the conversation. And you sit in there until I'm sorted out and we can have a conversation and we can understand each other, but you're never, ever, ever going to see me angry at you that way. And uh, I, I think that's the... I think that's the loving way to disciple your kids, even in consequence, never out of anger. And here's another thing. As a parent, don't parent out of fear. The scriptures say to us as believers that God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power and strength. So just because you're a parent doesn't mean that rule doesn't apply. You don't parent out of fear because you have a sovereign God, not only over your life, but your children's life, amen? He's in control of these things. 
Don't be afraid of their failure. Failure is a part of lessons that learn and shape. And I personally believe this. If you really think that one, one place they go for a few hours can underdo, undo whatever you've done for days and weeks on end, then something's wrong with what you're doing. Don't be afraid of, of letting them go a little bit. Here's another one. Be consistent. This is my kind of mantra. If it's worth saying once, it's worth saying every time. The most confusing thing in the world to a kid is for you to care, really passionately care at one moment, and next moment be totally disinterested. This happens all the time. Parents get really hot and heated over something. By God, this is going to happen, and these are the rules, and whatever, and then suddenly you're too busy. You're watching the game. You're too tired. You're, you're not available. And suddenly the kid looks at that and goes, well, they didn't really care about that absolute. I guess this doesn't really matter. I guess it's just where you catch them. Like, I guess if you do these certain things at the wrong time, it's timing. That's the issue not the instruction. I'm just saying, if, if you're willing to create this standard, this rule, every minute of every day, defend it. Give them something to hang on to. Have them believe you, that you mean these things, and you care deeply about them, right? Be consistent. Don't let laziness or busyness or indifference keep you from parenting. Number seven, the sharpest tool you have in your parenting drawer is repentance. The sharpest tool you have is repentance. You are going to blow it. You're going to fail. You're going to sin against your child. Repent. I have found in my own life the purest form of selfless love in my life has been my children because they don't have any other agenda. So they've always been, I've told them, I said, you can confront me. If I blow it, you come to me. You come to me. And for whatever reason, I'm undone when they do it. I just can't defend myself because they got no other. They got no other agenda. They're not trying to win. They're not trying to come out on top. They're they're just pointing it out. And so I've always asked them, as difficult as it is for a kid to, to walk into that situation, and say, "Hey, Dad, you shouldn't have said that to Mom like that," or "Dad, you got angry here, or you you went over the top there." It crushes me when that happens. So I think one of the greatest ways to teach the gospel and live the gospel is to be a sinner who repents of their sin. You're one of the many. You're not the exception to the rule. And so simply be, and remember the rule of thumb, as parents, we're simply sinners raising sinners, right? So to portray ourselves outside of that order in any way, shape, or form tells a different story than the gospel. The gospel comes for us. It comes for you, and it comes for me, and it comes for mom, and it comes for everybody else you've ever met because nobody is righteous apart from Christ, right? So repent of, of your sin. Here's number eight. Show lots of love. And when I say lots, I mean lots. I, um, I'm going to go back in time to, to make my point. I, I grew up in a culture, and I think there's a lot of us maybe in this room who grew up in the same culture. It was assumed, wasn't spoken of much, this love thing. I know my dad loves me. I love my dad. I'm so proud of my dad. He's, he's a man's man. I love him. He's finishing strong. But back in the day, I never played ball with my dad. We didn't wrestle around in the yard. He was busy. He was working. And the assumption was that he cared. And I know he did. But it wasn't said a lot. And there wasn't a lot of affection. I'm just telling you, parents, you, you can't say you love enough. You can't give enough affection. There are so many people doing studies on the fact that there's a really wandering, lost generation of people who are looking for that kind of attention other places. And you're never going to go wrong. You're never going to confuse them by being a, what I would call, consistent discipliner and discipler 
and being an extravagant lover. You're never going to confuse them. That's the safe place for them. It's like what you would say in front of, uh, when it comes to you being a, a married couple. When you, when you really are into each other, it brings a confidence and a strength to the children to watch the health of that relationship. And it's, tr- and it's true in this area of affection and, and love. So be that kind of lover. Number nine, be a proverbial teacher. It's exactly what we read in Deuteronomy. When Moses is telling the people how to teach their children to love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, he said, when you get up, when you lie down, when you go to work, wherever you go, tell the story. And I'm just saying that you can, you can choose a home Bible study, no harm, no foul. But if you neglect the daily, moment-by-moment lessons of proverbial teaching, you're not going to instruct them. Here's what I mean by that. It is like, um, it's, it's like Solomon who is instructing his children when it comes to the adulterous woman in chapter 6 and chapter 7 of, of Proverbs. It's as if he takes his kid down the red light district and he says, boy, let me tell you about that girl. She'll suck your brains out. She'll ruin your life and she'll cost you more than you can afford. Don't go down that street. Now, that's a life lesson. He didn't wake up and say, okay, chapter 3. Um, here's what we're studying today. No, he just looks at life. And all I think in reality is if you are trusting in curriculum, you're going to miss a thousand lessons. If you're simply unwilling to not teach every lesson God gives you, then you're going to disciple your kids. Do you understand what I mean by that? You have uh, every day something on TV, every day something on the computer, every day something in the, in the world, every day something in news, every day something in the relationships in the family. Every day there's something to say about how the gospel intersects that. Just, just teach every lesson. Don't get lazy. Just step into it. Okay, let me tell you about that. We don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because of the gospel. Or we repent of that because of the gospel. Or do you see right there? That's an example of the fall. That's a consequence of sin. What we need is a savior. You constantly teach. Be a proverbial teacher. And that takes a little pressure off to be so precise because God's really good at bringing us the subject matter moment by moment. Just walk into it. Teach all day, every day, and don't miss a lesson. Here's number 10. Close the windows. Here's what I mean by that. Um... We have smartphones, we have computers, we have um, freedom, and we have privacy. And I've been trying to figure out how to say this without being offensive, but I, I don't know if I can. So just forgive me ahead of time. Um, I don't think it's wrong to buy your kid a computer or a smartphone, but it might be stupid. Okay? Don't be offended by that. All I'm saying is if what you have in your scenario is it immediate access to all the worst of the worst of the worst influence? No accountability and total privacy. There's a computer in the room. You're not very bright. Because the heart, the waywardness of the heart gravitates towards those things. And those things will shape that person. I made a decision a long time ago, um, and I didn't really care. Um, we're not going to have internet. We don't have a computer. Now, I have an, I have an iPad, and it's open for everyone to use. But we don't have a computer in the room. We've never had a plugged-in 24-hour internet. And I had to go to school, and I had to war with the teachers who said, well, they can't get grades, or what happens if the syllabus? And I said, fine, flunk them. I don't care. Figure it out. And they did. Never had to deal with it. Never had to wrestle with it. They have flip phones. They don't care. And that's not because we're great. I'm not trying to use this as a example. I'm just saying, I know men 
and I looked in my house, and there was a bunch of them. And I thought, we're not going to go there. <laughs> and, I, and it's probably more in response to me and my weaknesses than anything. Like, I don't want to put that in front of them. I want them to become men without having the world shape what they think about women or shape what they think about sin. And so I, I just think, just to caution, I know all the students in here hate me now, but if, if I could do a lovinging for you, I'd unplug you. I'd unplug you and say, live with it. Live with it. You're going to survive. You'll be okay. And uh, maybe that's a good lesson for all of us. But by the way, just close the windows. I, I asked Justin Marshall, he said, listen, there's, these are some either applications or websites parents need to be cautious of. Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Vine, Ask.fm. I don't know what all that means, okay? Um, and, and I asked Justin, too, by the way, if some of you parents really wanted to talk about these specific things and what to be aware of and how to, how to counsel through it, that he'd be available, Matt would be available, James would be available, Paul. Just ask them. I, I don't know about this stuff, but, but clearly if they are open windows for sin to find them or them to find sin uh, as a parent and they're underage, close the windows. Number 11, and this is the last thing. Don't ever quit. I've talked to parents who think that they're, whatever was going to happen has happened. Whatever was going to be is going to be. And so they tap out. There are things to be said. There's lessons to be learned. There are things they see, observations they make, but that story's already done. And I'm just telling you, don't quit. They're your kids. And God asks you to disciple them. You're the, you're the first line of agent of change in their life. And, and don't quit. If it's worth saying, if it's true, if it's the gospel, preach it. Not preach it like a, you know, a weirdo. Lovingly. Don't quit. I also thought about, I had to teach this last hour, by the way, which predominantly is a bunch of people who are absolutely retired on the parenting thing, okay? And I'm almost done, too. So I have a few for you. If you're one of those people who had to endure this lesson and say, well, I, don't, I, I guess I only can deal with regret because I'm not going to change that. Let me give you some things to think about. If you're sitting here with the weight of what you could have done or should have done, I'm going to just tell you, it's never too late to say you're sorry, ever. It's never too late to go to your kids and say, you know what, I could have, I could have done that better, or I, I, sh I regret that decision. That's a good experience for both people, sinners saved by grace, right? Um, I want you also to be free, so I'm going to tell you this. The gospel has forgotten your failure, so you should too. As far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. He remembers our sin no more. So whatever regret, however bad it is, the gospel has forgotten it. Amen? Amen. So be free with that. And I would encourage you to continue your influence. Influence, I said, not control, because some won't let go, and that's not good. That's not healthy. Influence. Influence like praying for these young parents and... Uh, Engaging them in discussion, encouraging them, getting involved. I had one um, older, retired parent last hour said they could get involved. They could serve in student ministry. They can go over to children's. They could really actually be a part of this next wave. And if you're one of those who are old enough to look back at parenting, then I'm just suggesting that you could step into engaging the issue, right? And God is good. God is good. And our role is clear, and it's not complicated. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for the gospel, the good news, 
that uh, all of our inabilities and all of our failures and shortcomings are covered completely and perfectly in the righteousness of Jesus. I thank you also that uh, the power with which to see life change in, in the hearts of our children is provided in the Holy Spirit. And God, we just pray that you are um, working in the lives of our children. Help us to um, be consistent. Help us to repent. Help us to love selflessly like Christ our Savior. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.